Hi, welcome to the Inside Strategic Coach podcast. I'm Shannon Waller with Dan Sullivan. Dan, you said something in a workshop the other day that struck me, and I wrote it down that I wanted to talk to you about it in our Inside Strategic Coach podcast, and that is that you said, I have an associative brain, not a linear brain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, aha, I'm always looking for the secret sauce and how you do what you do. So can you describe what that means? Because I think that's true of me. I think that's true of people I'm close to, and I know it's true of a lot of our clients, but I've never heard that particular distinction before. So what for you is an associative brain versus a linear one? Well, what I mean by that is, and I'll give you an example, and that is that I'll come up with models that are from a completely different area that explains a concept. And one of the ones that, if you've been with me for 29 years, because that's when we started the workshop program, when it comes to freedom, I always say, well, there's two types of freedom. There's freedom from, and there's freedom to. And I said, how many of you are familiar with the book of Exodus out of the Bible? And, you know, a lot of hands go up. And I says, well, you know, in Exodus, the skills that get you out of Egypt are not the skills that get you into the promised land. So I said, there's a freeing yourself up from something you don't like, which gets you out of an oppressive situation, which is the story of Exodus. And I said, but that doesn't actually get you to where the freedom to do what you want to do. And Moses, who is the greatest force, and depending on what religion you grew up with, I grew up Catholic, you had the Old Testament and you had the New Testament. And I said, you know, Moses is considered the greatest, greatest figure in the Old Testament, but he did not have the skills to actually take the children of Israel into Egypt. So He had the skills to free them up from something that was oppressive, but he did not have the skills to free them to actually go to where their destination actually was. And that's what I would call an associative brain, is that I'll see other models, I'll see stories and everything else, and I'm explaining a concept or a tool, and in order to do that, I just tell a story. And if you look at the actual Bible itself, I think the people who created the Bible and other books like that were associative thinkers. They were always coming up with models. I'll give you another one. I think Einstein was an associative thinker. So relativity means that time can slow up or time can speed up, you know. So somebody said, well, you know, how do you explain differences in time. It seems to me that a minute's a minute, an hour's an hour. He said, well, I'll give you two examples. He said, you have 10 minutes, and it's the last 10 minutes for two years that you're going to be with the person that you love the most. Okay, and it's 10 minutes, and then there's two years separation. How long do those 10 minutes? And he says, it's just like a blink. They go by. You're desperate because the 10 minutes go by just so much like that. So that's one 10 minutes. And he said, I'll give you another 10 minutes. You've been forced to put your hand on a hot stove, and your hand is actually being injured by it for 10 minutes. How long does the 10 minutes last? He says, 10 minutes last forever. So we got 10 minutes over here, 10 minutes over here. They're not the same 10 minutes. He says that's relativity. (laughs) That's a great example. Yeah, and so the brain really, really loves stories. The brain really loves models. So it's not logical. There's no reason if you said, well, find a story that will actually illustrate that, it's hard to do Mm -hmm. unless you have the story already in your mind. You say, hey, this is exactly the same kind of story. 
So when entrepreneurs talk in the workshop and they bring up issues or they bring up problems, I'm constantly searching my brain for some piece of information. It might be from history. It might be from movies I've seen. It might be stories and my own experiences. And I'll associate the issue that they're bringing up with an experience I had. Okay. And all of a sudden they say, oh, yeah, but that gives me a whole different way of thinking of it. Now, I don't do that just to communicate. I do that to think. Mm-hmm. So the difference is I don't think in a linear fashion at all. I just pop from one thing to another. And I want to say this because I was born for the Internet. <laughs> so I was born in 1944. So I was born 50 years before the Internet came along. But the first time I sat down where you could actually go on the internet and you could go from topic to topic and you could jump and say, oh, that reminds me of something. And I go over there and I say, oh, that's really, really interesting. That's kind of like, and then I'd go over here and I'm hopscotching all over. And I do that, you know, on average, I do that for about two hours every day. And the interesting thing people say, well, you know, why don't you get one of those algorithms that actually searches for you and presents what you're looking for? And I said, well, I don't know what I'm looking for. Actually, what I'm looking for is things that I didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And I said, so there's no algorithm can possibly know what it is that I'm not looking for, (laughs) but that I would be interested. But I had an early training for this, and what it was, I created my own school when I was 10 years old, because the school that I went to, which was not any different from anybody else's school, was very linear. First you learn this, then you learn this, then you learn this, and then, you know, and every topic, you had five, six topics. You had history, you had geography, you had English, you had math, and everything like that. But it was all done in a linear fashion. First you learn this, and once you learn that, then you go on to But that's not the way I learn. I found it really oppressive, and it wasn't that I got bad grades. I got good enough grades because I have good memory, and I read. I'm a voracious reader. But what I decided was, instead of complaining about school, I was going to create my own school. And what I did, I went to the local library to the reference room, and they had the big complete set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I had a notebook, which was a spiral notebook. And I'd walk in, I'd put the notebook down on the table, and then I'd close my eyes and I'd turn around. You know, we're right where the encyclopedia was, and I'd go along and then I'd get one book and I'd pull it off and I'd turn around, eyes still closed, (laughs) and I'd open up the book and I'd take my finger and I'd go like that. And wherever my finger landed, it would land on an article about something and I would read that article. And in my spiral notebook, I would write down notes. Oh, gee, I didn't know that. That's really, really interesting. That's very. And then at the bottom of each article, they had cross-references to other subjects that you might be interested in. And I'd go like this. I'd just point, and I'd hit a cross-reference, and I'd go with a cross-reference. And I'd spend two or three hours just hopscotching, just like I do on the Internet. Now, I was in a linear school system, which I found very oppressive, so I had to create my own separate school system that was an associative thinking school rather than a linear thinking school. I love it. Early internet per Dan. Yeah. (laughs) A couple thoughts occur to me. One is that what you've described is often how people talk about an ADD brain. Mm -hmm. So attention deficit disorder, which, you know, 
there's lots of different conversations about that. And there is a correlation with Colby between a preventive, a short follow through and initiating quick start or implementer. And it's that you know ability to switch quickly mentally mm-hmm. between different activities. I love it because you've used it to actually build interesting pathways that are not predictable. Mm-hmm. You went and found different things. You actually were training your brain to make those connections. Mm-hmm. Dan, I don't know any other 10-year-old who's ever done that. I'm sure there are some, which is kind of fascinating. And you do it now with the internet. But what I love seeing is you do it in the workshop. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a conversation come up, and then you'll connect it to something else. Those connections really help people make sense Mm -hmm. of their experience and get them out of that linear pathway where they were feeling kind of stuck and into a much broader perspective. Is that how it feels to you? Yeah, and the thing is that, first of all, I think you're born with this. My sense is that it's factory equipment that you're born with this. I know people who have linear brains, and they can stay with a topic, and they go seven, eight hours, and they can actually follow it sequentially for seven, eight hours. Mm -hmm. Well, for them, they've got to be in circumstances where they get rewarded for doing that, and they Mm -hmm. get supported for doing that. I think people who do cryptanalysis, you know, like they're investigating something, forensic accountants or forensic Mm -hmm. lawyers, you know, and everything like that. So the thing is that neither way of thinking is actually better than the other. It's just that if you have a particular way of thinking, don't think you should be thinking the other way. Mm -hmm. In other words, take complete 100% proud ownership of the way that you're thinking and then maximize the value of that, but get yourself in the right circumstance where that way of thinking actually creates value that other people appreciate and that you're a hero to them. And I think this is the big thing is just not to be ashamed or embarrassed about the way you think and think that you're deficient because you think. Just fully grasp how your brain actually operates and then set up the circumstances where that just makes you increasingly successful, but more importantly than that is increasingly valuable to other people. And I think this is the thing. And it's only, I would say, that making the specific decision that I'm just gonna base the rest of my life on this, and this is my strong suit, is fairly recent, even though I had unique ability down and everything. But within the last two or three years, in my 70s, I said, you know, my whole future is going to be based on this skill that I've been developing ever since childhood. To me, it's your recipe for creativity. It's how you come up with stuff. And I said, I've always been, not that I study you, but I pay attention to how you do things. I'm always querying how this works. So that's what was so fun. And I think building those connections and those capabilities, and as you said, owning it, take full ownership. And I think anytime any of us who, if you have a linear brain and you try to be associative, that's painful and hard and probably don't get much linear results. And when you have an associative brain and you go and try and be linear, it's a similar experience. So really just staying in your lane, but also partnering up. If something does require linear thinking, that you partner up with people. And the truth is that all projects which move everybody forward requires every kind of thinking, Mm -hmm. okay? And it has to be a teamwork. So there's projects which I'll reach the borderline where I've done my associative thinking, and I'll say, okay, now I have to go over to someone who's really good at linear thinking and just tell them how far I've come, and now that part of it. And I'm saying, like, there's two types, but I suspect there's, you know, there may be 10 different ways of thinking, but it's 
The only one that I'm really responsible for is the one that I have. And then to have an enormous appreciation for people who think differently than I do. I love that. Dan, just before we wrap up, if someone else identifies with what we've been talking about and thinks that they have an associative way of thinking as well, what are some things that they can do? How can they take action to either strengthen it, to own it, to maximize it, as you've talked about? What would be some tips that you found work really well for you that might also work well for others? Well, first of all is to just spend some time actually experiencing how they actually do think. I think the internet is really good because, for example, one of the things they've found is that usually when they talk about technology and they talk about the internet in particular, that young people are better at using the internet than older people. But they've actually done tests where they were asked to find out some information And they found that generally people over 40 or 50 years old, if giving 10 pieces of information they have to look up, are infinitely better at doing that without getting distracted than younger people are. Younger people are much more distractible. And my sense is that the older people, they may have been highly distracted, but they've learned how to be task-oriented, and they've trained their brains in certain situations you're just going to have to switch over. You probably can't do this for a whole day, but for the next hour, you can probably find out 10 things. So my sense is the Internet's a great way to actually test what kind of thinker you are. So if you go on the Internet and you see something you're interested in, and you click on that and you go into it, if 15 minutes later you're still on that topic and you're going deep on it, you're not an associative thinker. You're a deep dive thinker, Mm -hmm. okay? And I have to tell you, we need deep dive thinkers. You know, we could give names to all these and maybe, you know, I'll give some more thought to it and we can actually create categories of different kind of thinking. But, you know, I've got this saying, play to win with the cards you have, not the cards you wish you had which is an associative thinking uh, thing. I'm relating, you know, that the best card players in any casino are not the ones who get the best hand. They're the ones who, whatever hand they get, they create an immediate strategy. Look, do I go for it with this hand or do I do I fold and everything like that? And the best card players are the ones who recognize the playability of the hand they have And that says whether they're actually going to bet on it or not bet on it, how they're going to bluff if they're not going to bluff. Mm -hmm. And so my feeling is the intelligence you're born with is like a hand that you were given, except it's a lifetime hand. And then you want to now associate the hand you have with the situation where this hand won can be admired and respected and encouraged, and then you can translate the hand that you were born with into higher and higher economic rewards in the world, and you know you can produce results with that. Entrepreneurs are out of Egypt. I would say that 95% of the entrepreneurs that I meet have the freedom of getting away from what they don't like, and that's one of the reasons why they became an entrepreneur, because they can't work for somebody else, because Anybody they'd worked for would try to force them into a system, so they've declared independence from other people's systems, but they haven't followed through 
to freedom too. How can I take this unique thinking ability I have and now maximize it in the marketplace? How can I maximize it as my role in much bigger teamwork, collaboration with people who have different thinking abilities? And I think this is why the entrepreneurial world is so fascinating to me because it seems to be limitless in terms of what you can find out about yourself and what you can find about how you can match up the uniqueness of what you do with the uniqueness of other people. And it just gets constantly rewarded. The more combining you do between your uniqueness and other people's uniqueness, the bigger the rewards. And you never run out of motivation and stimulation. So other people have to retire. There's a lot of mandatory retirement in the employment world. But entrepreneurs don't have to retire until nature retires them. So my sense is the only reason why you would continue working in your 70s, 80s, and 90s is because you have realized the second half of freedom, Mm -hmm. and you have to be free from other people's restrictions, but the second half of it, and I think only about 5% of entrepreneurs ever get into the freedom to role, but they have captured the uniqueness of how they think about things, and that just keeps getting better as they get older. Thank you, Dan. To my mind, this is a very interesting distinction that helps facilitate that freedom too. Again, by owning it themselves and then looking at how it can maximize impact and value. So I appreciate thinking this way about our thinking as always. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. 